Dan Schulman says that ru- that drop ru- pop up by the Red Sox cost them ten runs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 916 OPS since the beginning of June, which the only people ahead of him on the Blue Jays are Teoscar Hernandez, Kirk, and Gurriel. Sure, sure, there's going to be a death ray in every stadium on the East Coast, but (laughs) (laughs) but people will be treated decently. And welcome to episode number 242 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we have one episode for every run that the Blue Jays scored on Boston in the last week. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the high-energy Joshua Housem. Josh, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, high-energy, I don't, still don't think I could match the energy level of the Jays <laughs> to be able to run around the bases for all those runs on the other day. Apparently, tuckering them out in the first game didn't work as planned, but I think that was maybe the whole the whole plan was was you just wear them out the first game. Um, wow, do we have so much to talk about in the Red Sox series? We could probably do a whole podcast on game one. I was thinking about that, but we're, we are not afforded the luxury. So we will give you as much of the 28 run amaze balls game as we can. We will, of course, uh, talk about the rest of the series, which continued to be great for the Blue Jays, but also abysmally clumsy for the Red Sox. (laughs) Um, Then uh, we're going to rewind to the All-Star game where Alec Manoa was on the mic, baby. And uh, that was too much fun. Uh, and then there is a, a Cardinal series coming up. And what do you know? Some really, really good players it slipped their mind to get vaccinated before they came to Canada. Um, there was a baseball <laughs> draft. Uh, we're going to go in-depth, hopefully, it, with a expert later this week for the draft. Um, but we're going to just cover the, the ABCs of the uh, first couple rounds. We have your questions because we love answering your questions. And, and you, boy, you folks are back strong with the questions this week we also have uh, a gold star to hand out to uh, ken rosenthal and vlad jr uh and we have gee this is a shocker we we have a, a do-over for rob manfred <laughs> huh <laughs> who i remind you for. still hates baseball uh shall we begin with the thing we love which is the blue jays embarrassing boston over and over and over again in their own ballpark yeah, um, just quickly before you get into that. So we did have an interview lined up to talk about the draft, but unfortunately our guest had a family emergency, so he had to back out. But we're going to try to release that as a separate, just interview alone podcast, which you, I just want to get that out of the way now, just so people are well, not wondering where the heck that is. But that, yeah. that'll hopefully be coming later this week, but we'll let you know. Keep watching Twitter. We will We will keep you posted when we know what's happening. But yeah, that series was fun. That first game was fun. <laughs> Like how many – how bold and capitalized can you put fun? Um, so a friend of mine who's not a big baseball fan, he uh, he likes baseball but not you – know, he's not like us. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was at an airport and he said like – he said, I, I was wondering – I saw the score and I said, Josh must be freaking out right now. And he's, I checked your Twitter and sure enough, your most recent post was ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> I think that summed it up really well. <laughs> um, so the the first moment where I think we realized that something incredible was was happening was was I'm sure to me Rymel Tapia hitting 
a a fairly routine deep fly ball to the to the triangle essentially in in center field uh o- over Duran's head so routine in fact that he dropped his head and leaned forward as he dropped his bat in frustration like oh i've hit a fly ball um that was not a routine fly ball <laughs> that in the next what seven eight seconds turned into uh oh this guy doesn't know where the ball is uh it's a good 30 feet past him and bouncing off of the wall uh and then in the next what eight seconds it turned into the second inside the park grand slam in blue jays history yeah and both of them were in penway (laughs) which is kind of funny (laughs) still don't know how that works Yeah. Uh, um, oh, it was so. I've seen Jaron Duran getting a lot of flack for not running back for that ball. His answer, which it doesn't show up on the the video feed because it's a straight on shot, he says he saw that that uh, Verdugo was going to beat him there, and he didn't want to run back and like in, disrupt the throw. So I'll give him a pass on that. But oh boy, did it look bad. <laughs> yeah, like I guess. If if I was not intending to field the ball, I would still be moving my feet to either pretend like I was going to cut off the ball, like not, not that it was actually going to happen, but that it looked like I had something on my mind other than, oh, F my life, <laughs> which is all it looked like. I don't know. Maybe I would have turned around just so the camera couldn't see the expression on my face just to watch Verdugo make the throw. Yeah, that would have been fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's so funny that Tapia, like you said, he you know he dropped his head and looked upset, and he still managed to get around the bases. Like he was not running out of the box. He didn't run until he got past first base. Yeah, and w- they cut to him between first and second after things had gone horribly south, and he was a man. He looked like a freight train coming around second base. It was like, oh my god, I. I should have been running this whole time. I'm going to catch up to my, but you know, that ghost that you do on racing games that you're trying to catch up to, like to where you should be for the previous lap. He looked like he was catching <laughs> trying to catch up to that guy. <laughs> oh man. It was, but you're right though. Like that just really set the tone. That made it what? Nine, nothing. I think so. Yeah. Cause they'd already, or maybe, it was that, that, maybe that made it 10. Yeah. I think it was 10 because you have, cause of all, got charged with nine runs and then that was the first run, the relievers so that made it 10, nothing. Mm. you've already started the trend of uh every boston pitcher coming in um for the first five innings and uh allowing more runs than they recorded out all of them that's hard to do <laughs> not that night so that i thought was the capper but that was just like that that was like the the appetizer the tapper the capper was with two outs a pop-up on the infield that went what it's 15 feet 20 uh something like that (laughs) nobody bothered to decide to catch and then i believe 12 people in a row reached base (laughs) so (laughs) at the end of it um dan shulman says that that drop pop up by the Red Sox cost them ten runs. 
mean, that, I mean, but that just kept happening even in that inning. Little, little thing, little flares or pop-ups down the line that probably were catchable that weren't caught. And yeah, it was. <laughs> and the, the Red Sox in that, especially in that first game, but it continues to, to happen as the series goes on, looked very flustered doing things that, I mean, it's their ballpark, right? They should know their infield. When players misplay a baseball off of the turf at, at Rogers Center, it's pretty easy to give a guy a pass, especially like a National League player. Like, oh, yeah, it doesn't bounce like it's supposed to bounce, right? But these guys are, it's Redugo. He, he's an outfielder. He has all the time in the world to practice off the wall. And he looked like he's trying to go get a line drive that's about eight feet over his head, then realizes it's going to go off the wall, turns around to try and play the weird carom, gets to the ball, grabs the ball, and then falls, falls down. down. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a microcosm of that game. So when this was all said and done, the Jays had set records, team records, for most runs in a game, most hits in a game, and the biggest winning margin they've ever had. <laughs> uh, and just for good measure, they they're that's the most – Runs ever scored in the first five innings of a game ever. Um, it's the most runs the Red Sox have ever given up, home or away, ever. Remember, that team's been around for more than 100 years. Yeah, um, and it was every player in the lineup got at least two hits and two runs. That's so, uh, uh, every not every starter. So this it's happened four times overall, but only twice has every starter gotten at least two hits and two runs. And the other time actually was against the Blue Jays in 1978, which is kind of funny. Like, so the Blue Jays are the only two times that's ever happened. I, I was a little upset when Charlie – or it wasn't Charlie. Wow, geez. Schneider uh, yeah. pin, pinch hit for Vlad. Yes, because he was only at two hits. Yeah, and I, I wanted the Jays to be the first team to ever get everyone with three hits. They ended up <laughs> getting seven guys got three hits because uh, Espinal didn't get there and Vlad obviously did because he was pinch hit for But – I just wanted that. Also, I wanted them to break the record for for runs in a game. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of people I've talked to who are not baseball fans who are like, "Wow, they 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 really, you know, they they could have eased up. They're really embarrassing them." I'm like, "Well, I mean, at 20 runs, you're embarrassing them, but once you're sniffing 30, I mean, you got to put the pressure back on." <laughs> Darn right. <laughs> and then when is... they brought in when they brought in um, the position player to pitch in the ninth, I was like, "Okay." Got a chance, got a chance, but then they got one off him, so that's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, Biggio was Biggio's trying to save his job, right? Everybody else is just like, I've been, I've been out on the the bases so much, I don't even know what to do. Um, uh, also, I, I this is the first time anyone caught him doing it, but maybe he's been doing it for a while. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. makes his own own fruit salad drinks in. <laughs> In the, in the middle of the game where he gets six hits. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was six. That's a lot. That's like the most that a Blue Jay has ever uh, achieved. Tied with, of course, Frank Catalano Jr., who I've heard that so many times when a guy has five hits. So now I get to hear Gurriel and uh, FCAT every time a guy gets five hits, which is cool. Yeah, that's fun. It's always nice when when someone actually matches a record of some kind. For a team. So it's like, well, there's two players who have done this. So it's not just the same guy getting mentioned over and over again. Um, so the interesting thing with Gurriel was that – so when Catalanato did it, he was six for six. Gurriel was six for seven. So it's like, okay, well, Catalanato's got a little bit better. A little bit better. But Gurriel also drove in five runs. 
because everything was unreal about the game. I, I think it was. So did they finish with the number nine hitter? Was that the last out was the number nine hitter? I, feel... uh, I, be I believe. Yeah, it was Jansen. So Tapia would have been, it would have been his ninth plate appearance if Jansen had reached. <laughs> because Tapia let off the game. <laughs> no, he only had seven. It would have been his eighth. It was only his eighth? Okay. Yeah. My bad. Still, eight plate appearances in a game. No, it was just a magical game. The hilarious thing is that Kirk, Kirk was three for six, and he walked, but he didn't drive in a run. <laughs> he was the only one on the team who didn't do it. The only starter. Uh, Blue Jays pitching, understanding the score, to their credit, walked zero people. Yeah, and that included people like Jeremy Beasley and Anthony Jeremy Beasley throwing three innings, and Anthony Banda pitching, and no walks. So yeah, just throw it down the middle. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and Jeremy Beasley paid in home runs, but I again, mad respect to him going. Okay, they're not catching us. Let's just get some outs here. You can you can have a couple of solo dingers. <laughs> do do what you wish. Um. Okay, did we cover all of the records? I think that's enough. Uh, okay. Yeah. The fun continued. The Red Sox did not give their head a shake and get any better on defense. No, they didn't. They got... There was a sequence of three plays in a row that reminded me of the Rangers back in that, uh, you know, the, 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 the magical LDS? seventh inning in the ALDS. Where that, was a, that was in hit, the third game, right? Uh, okay, yes. But... I, <laughs> They all kind of blurred together because the Red Sox did not have a good defensive game for the whole series, even though they only lost the second game five to five to one, four to one, four to one. So many runs, a record number of runs. In fact, I think you have it written down here. Yeah, they scored 40 runs in the series, which I think was the I read that was a record for the Jays in a three game set, not not a four gamer, but for a three. But it was just <laughs> the Red Sox were pathetic. Um, you know, the Jets, look, the Jays hit well. There's no question about that. They got how many hits in that first game? But the Red Sox gave up, what, 25 runs that they shouldn't have given up? Yeah. Just from defense? Yeah, it, it just went on. And, and, and I, you know, people said, oh, they're not playing with their best players. They're not. this Like, these are routine plays where, you know, you go to throw something to the first baseman. At, well, what was it? was it the pickoff move? Was that in the first game? That was the pickoff was the second game. The second game, yeah. Like the pickoff missed by about six feet. The second baseman. It looked like he was aiming for the center fielder. You yeah, can't. It was, how do you do that as a you know an elite professional baseball player, baseball team, over and over again? Like I don't understand where their heads are at. Cora, I, I mean, obviously you don't. Cora can't pep talk them after a 28 to five loss into anything other than we'll see you tomorrow. But how do you get them to wrap their heads around? Hey, you, you gotta, you gotta be thorough and consistent and do the little things or everything else is going to get away. Yeah. And they went 19 and five in June. That team for a month had a 800 winning percentage. Yeah. Uh, did you see the graphs from uh, Jean Bois? The the worst, uh, I think, worst five game run differentials in in baseball history. But it's like a rolling average, so the top three are 
are the Red Sox, the Red Sox, and the Red Sox last week. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. But this isn't a Red Sox pod. We'll just laugh at how it's, how there's so I don't like talking about John Boy, but John Boy Media put out a, a video of just Red Sox bad fielding over the last month, and it's hilarious, and you should watch it. <laughs> um. The other thing that I wanted to say was just absurd was Sawamura balking a runner on with nobody on base. Teoscar Hernandez in a 2-1 count. Uh, Sawamura was warned that he went to his mouth and immediately went to his glove. They got a warning. He threw a pitch and then he went to his mouth and went to his glove. So the umpire called a balk. There's a ball on the batter. And then he immediately did it again. That's really dumb. <laughs> Didn't even throw another pitch. And, of course, game day was confused as anything. They called that an intentional walk, which I suppose is a way to intentionally walk someone if you really want to get in trouble with your manager. That's true. Well, <laughs> trying to get your manager fired? They saw the Jays do it. Okay. But let's get away from laughing at Boston. And All right. We'll Fair have enough. all season to do that. Okay, let us rewind to the All-Star game. Um, the smartest decision in the world is to take a, a unicorn as far as personable players in finding a pitcher who will talk to people on his pitching day and then slap a microphone on him and not only put a mic on him, but let him talk to the booth while he's on the mound in the All-Star game. Th that person deserves, oh, what do they deserve? They deserve one of these. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well Alec Manolard. One hundred percent. The most fun one can have is is a player who is genuinely having fun. Uh, not just that you can see it, but that you can hear it. It, everything about it. I mean, you can find the whole nine plus minute inning on YouTube, which good job MLB for putting that up because they realized that this was really cool and it's just making a star. He was great. <laughs> <laughs> he was, you know, from the, the, like, the subtle trash talk to McNeil. <laughs> Bye you. <laughs> it's like strike one. Um, and, and there were fun things too, like, you know, obviously when when it was like he asked Smoltz what he should throw. Oh, you sexy! Oh, that's sexy. Yeah, um, and then he hits him with it. <laughs> um, yeah, that was like the only that was the only time he shook Kirk off. So Kirk could Kirk knew, don't go with that one. But this is a, this like from the aside from all the just fun and humor and just personality that came out from there. There was also something really cool about how Kirk and Manoa work together and how Manoa approaches pitching because apparently he just talks to himself on the mound all the time, but we got to hear it. And he was talking about pitches like, I want to like, this should be the right time for this. And this see what Kirk calls and Kirk would call it. It happened three or four times, but the one that really stood out to me was the very last pitch. Smoltz said he should throw the slider again. And Manoa said, well, he's, he's seen the, the two seamers in, so I'm going to throw the four seamer up because, you know, so the straight one, he hasn't seen that yet. And he might swing through it. 
And he threw it like right down the middle. <laughs> yeah. He, well, he, he goes, like, he goes inside middle, corner. We'll yeah. take it. Big punchies. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> but it was just the way of thinking about hitting, about pitching rather, and how the same pitch can look so different if it's just on a slightly different spin axis. And, you know, change it from a two seam to the four seam with the ride versus the the straight ball. And it worked. And Kirk was thinking right along with him. And I just thought that was really cool. I also like the humility in that if if what he uh, what he was trying to do didn't work out, he admitted it immediately and just focused on the result. Right. Um, that that. Right, oh, inside corner. No, nope, right down the middle. But we'll take it <laughs> like like not not trying to cover up for, hey, I'm not perfect. Right. But the stuff plays. Sometimes you throw it right down the middle and the guy doesn't swing because he's not expecting it or he can't catch up to it or, you know, whatever. Um, that was also a lot of fun for me. I, I Obviously, he's, you're never going to do that in a regular season game. But even him talking about his own velocity. Oh, I thought the adrenaline would have me a couple miles an hour faster. And then he, he does get a couple miles an hour faster. He's like, okay, maybe I'm loosening up now, right? Just yeah. everything in his head was so cool. Yeah. So well-earned gold star to Manoa and to the Fox broadcast. Yeah. Uh, and stick in the mud, John Smoltz, well known for not liking, you know, fun things, uh, decided to have fun. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, uh, other all-star game moments. Um, I think the only, the only other Blue Jay to reach base was Santiago Espinal. Was it not? Yeah. Vlad and Kirk didn't look so great, but that's okay. I mean, did well defensively. Yeah. Um, it was, they ended up, I mean, Espinal played like six innings or something. Um, only slight disappointment. They didn't use Jordan Romano for at least one out, but then, uh, what was the name of the closer? Uh, you about class A? Yeah. Class A. He was devastating. So yeah, I did. the, they didn't need another pitcher with that guy. Available. 99 mile an hour cutters. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Trade for him. Um, yeah. So, All Star Weekend, fun stuff. Um, I'm sure there will be more All Star appearances for probably most of those guys at some point in their future. Yeah. Uh, so, now. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it was just fun. Yeah, they had a good time. They, they and then the Jays put out. Uh, one of their extra innings documentaries, documentaries, try that word again. And it was just covering the Blue Jays at All-Star Weekend. Oh, so neat. you should check that out. I guess Greg hasn't seen it, so you should check it out, Greg. And you, our listeners, should check it out because it was really neat. It's about I, 10 minutes long. I listened to you too. Uh, yeah, shout out to Alec Manoa's uh, jewelry on the All-Star red carpet. For those of you who did not see his pendant, you should go try and find a picture of him. Um, okay. We move forward now into the future where the Cardinals will be in town and surprise, surprise, significantly weaker than they should be. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the biggest one. I mean, so the Royals lost 10 guys, which, okay, well, that's pretty bad, but the Cardinals two best players aren't coming. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, the Cardinals two best players are Goldschmidt, who's having an MVP season and Arenado, who's the best third baseman in, in the national league. And who's having one of the better seasons of his career. Yeah, I mean, what's what's two potential losses 
having lost those guys when you're in the hunt for a playoff spot. I mean, thank you, vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's funny because Arenado's complained about the team. First he did it in Colorado. Now he's apparently doing it in St. Louis, complaining about, you know, the team not doing enough to put good players on the on the roster. Maybe you should worry about getting yourself on the roster. <laughs> just, uh, I don't think hypocrisy sinks in for these particular folks. I just, I don't, I don't think they absorb it. Um, yeah, we're going to go with that. So I am thankful, uh, for that, uh, not for their friends and families who have to hang out with them. Um, but I am thankful for, uh, having a much easier time navigating the Cardinals lineup as you do. Uh, other than that, is there anything exciting about the Cardinals coming to town? Is it just a two gamer, isn't it? Just a two gamer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, get in, get out, have a little adventure. Maybe the Blue Jays will continue there. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. What, eight of ten winning streak? Eight of nine? Eight of nine. Eight of or, nine. Yeah, eight of nine or nine. Yeah, eight of nine. Eight of yeah. nine. What, weren't we just talking about them losing nine of ten? Doesn't it seem like that's all just been wiped out in the shortest interval possible? It, yeah, it's funny how baseball works sometimes. <laughs> mm. uh, somewhere mixed into all of that was the baseball draft. Um, do we get anybody good? <laughs> well, again, we're going to have someone come on to this podcast and actually give us deeper insight. We we can discuss it briefly, who they took. I mean, they, they so basically the, the Jays strategy, let's just, let's just talk about the way they did it. Their idea, their whole strategy was built once they got Brandon Barriera in the first round. Uh, he's a left-handed, one of the arguably the left, the best pitching prospect in the in from high school in the draft. Best lefty seems to be a consensus. Throws pretty hard, has good pitch mix, and throws strikes, which is obviously really nice for a high schooler. They then zeroed in on Tucker Toman, another high school listed as a shortstop, but probably a third baseman, who they were able to get later in the draft. Because he went way over slot, signed for two million bucks when the pick value was only eight hundred forty-six thousand. So the Jays' strategy then became take some good, safe players at, with their first four picks, other than those two, right? So with, with their second and, and fourth pick, and then and maybe their fifth pick, then just take under slot guys all the way down, so they could afford to pay for those for those first two big ones. And I like that strategy. And they have some high school guys late that are could be interesting that tough signs but i just like the idea of go try to take big swings get a couple good really good ones as opposed to trying to maximize the number of guys i think that it's easier to try to get stars that way there you go uh we're gonna find out if uh if you're get the agreement of the experts hopefully later this week like we said yeah, um i i just don't want to try to talk about players no. in depth that i haven't seen no, I think people wanted to know the names of the first couple rounds at the very least. And I think you have provided them with uh, ample uh, additional information. We are going to have more information for you because you have asked us questions. And we're going to come back to those right after this. And we're back. Uh, it's my favorite part of the show where I don't have to think up all the content because other people, cool people like you, 
dear listener, do it for us. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? L at Ellie Yelly Hart says, are the Blue Jays playing that well or are the Red Sox playing that badly? That's that's like yes. a chick, chicken and egg question. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, certainly the Blue Jays came in on a winning streak and continued it. And the, the Red Sox came in on a losing streak and also continued it. So I, th- I think that is a 100% valid yes from every logical standpoint, despite the fact that we have trouble with things like logic when we're answering questions around here. Um, yeah, one thing I want to just quickly get touch on. So... I'll, I'll make this more I'll, I'll expand on this more at the end or as a final thought but the Jays have as part of their winning streak really taken advantage of some teams that are not very good or not at full strength the Phillies they mostly had their guys there but they you know they're missing Bryce Harper and Real Muto wasn't there and then the Royals were missing 10 players and the Red Sox had injuries and but but that's what you're supposed to do so it's nice <clears throat> um all bummer everything at all bummer uh, welcome to the question section. Uh, if Bo continues his meh performance at the plate, how long do you think it would take for Schneider to slide him further down the batting order? Feels like there is some ego management going on there. I mean, it probably is that. Uh, the ego management might not be the right word. It's more about comfort management, I think is a better word in terms of where guys are comfortable in the lineup and also just track record. I mean, Bo Bichette has been very good other than this year. And in the four spot, his ability to get on base isn't as important. He just needs to put the ball in play and get runs home, which he does. Yeah. As far as how long would it take? I don't think it takes very long if Guriel starts hitting for any power. Um, but as we've talked about, Guriel, who is probably the hottest hitter on this team, um, isn't as likely to drive in runs as Bo because he hits a lot of singles and a decent number of doubles and almost no home runs right now. Whereas Bo, so far this year, even though he sucked, all of his home runs pretty much have come at a key time in that particular game. So credit to him for uh, somehow figuring out how to be clutch, because apparently that's a skill now. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Minor Leaguer at Minor underscore Leaguer. Uh, what are your thoughts on the shift restriction pie in the Florida State League? Attached is a tweet of the infield shift restriction uh, drawing. The Each field in the FSL, the Florida State League, will have chalk lines extending from the center field facing tip of second base to the edge of the outfield grass. Infielders cannot stand here pre-pitch, which effectively means you can hit the ball up the middle and reasonably expect to get a base hit. So I hate the pie. (laughs) (laughs) It's aesthetically about as unpleasing a thing as you can have on the field. Random lines protruding out from second base. It looks really bad. And I think the idea should be to have umpires essentially enforcing that because it just looks bad. It's not, it's not a good thing for the product. If they are going to restrict shifts, though, I do like the concept better than just you can't be on the other side of the bag where you end up with these guys standing right behind second base, which is just the same shift, same thing as a shift anyway. It's, it accomplishes the same thing. So – I don't know. I, I don't like it, though. I think it's... I it, it's it, For those of you who are having trouble picturing, it's like there's a second set of foul lines that starts behind second base. 
Yeah, dr- basically drawn along the lines of the base. Like if you take it, if you take the base and just extended it out, it goes into the, into the grass. Yeah. yeah. It's very weird. Anyway, very, very ugly. I mean, maybe we'll get used to it someday. It's it's way better than like a designated shaded zone that each guy has to stand in, I guess. You know, that's probably better. Um, yeah. you and Ross, I'll read the next I, one to you. Okay. At Mentalk, you and Ross, what cocktail are you having Lourdes make for you? I, I'm 100% in for anything with as much pineapple as he appears to be, like, into. <laughs> so pina colada then? Well, no, I mean, pina colada has that coconut thing going on. So if, if he has something else, you know, <laughs> uh, in, in, you know if, he's, if he's in a passion fruit, maybe, or uh, he likes... He likes the star fruit or there's something, something maybe I haven't had from, uh, from his, uh, you know, his own home kind of cooking, um, uh, what should we call it? ingredient list. I'm, I'm down for it because it looked yummy. I was like, man, <laughs> I could use, I could use a fruit juice right now. It'd be awesome. What would you like? I like the idea. I like pineapple a lot. So that's good to me. All right. Uh, smiley face picnic at smiley face picnic. Apparently Twitter is restrictive about the length of those. Uh, would you rather trade for a performing lefty bat switch hitter like Josh Bell or Ian Happ or roll the dice and sign Conforto? <laughs> well, I don't think Conforto, there's no guarantee that Conforto is even going to play this season. He he was originally ruled out for the year by Boras, who then walked those cl- those comments back, of course, because his client could get signed now because the draft is over. I I don't know that any of those really make sense now with the way Tapia is hitting and with the cost it would take to get those guys and with the way Kirk is hit- and Jansen are hitting. So if you get Josh Bell, one of those guys has to sit every day, and that doesn't really make sense. We should probably pause here because we have – the pertinent info about how how those guys you just listed are hitting. Um, well, I'm talking about the other guys now, the the, the people that we're talking about trading for. Josh Bell and, uh, yes. Um, if, but I, I was just going to say, if the lineup is as long as it is, like you're saying, do we need those guys? And the lineup is extremely long. Yeah, but yeah, but Conforto, though, I, like, I would love to see the Jays try to take a shot on him for uh, get him on a contract for next year. But I don't think he's likely to play much this year. Indeed. Uh, shall we move to Andrew? Sure. Andrew, Andrew Arnold at Arnie 19, underscore 1981. Tapia is playing way better than Grichuk. Did we win that trade? Did we? <laughs> uh, Would you like to take it? Uh, Grichuk is, what is he, slugging 393? In Coors. In, in Coors. The easiest place in the world to slug 450 um i don't know what the heck is going on with rymel tapia lately even before um even before the series in boston he was hitting well but over the since the beginning of june he is his ops is better than vladimir guerrero juniors um and he's hitting 339 yeah, 916 OPS since the beginning of June, which the only people ahead of him on the Blue Jays are Teoscar Hernandez, Kirk, and Guriel. Obviously, those guys have more bats because they play more than, than Tapia does, but 
he's putting himself in the conversation for more playing time, even though he was so bad at the beginning of the season and was getting more playing time than he should. So, yeah, I mean, Ryan Maltapia has, you know, the expected stats were saying that he should be doing this, but he wasn't. But now he is. And it's just, it, it really makes the lineup interesting when Kirk is, when Jansen is catching because he's starting to force his way into the, into some more playing time, <laughs> but Kirk has to DH most of those games. So it allows them to rest Kirk, I guess a bit more or rest Guriel or Teoscar or Springer. So it's, just, it's nice. It's a problem you love to have. It is. Did we win the trade? I, uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm fine with that result of the trade. Uh, Mark Burley at Trillimo Pena. Uh, says, how would you describe your reaction to Tapia's Grand Slam? Hooting, hollering, cackling, guffawing, or maybe something else? Perhaps a dignified chuckle, uncontrollable giggling? So many possibilities. What did you have, Josh? Open mouth wonder? <laughs> yeah, slack jawed comes to mind. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah beca because of, I mean, an inside the park Grand Slam is, it's like a unassisted triple play. The during is uh sometimes slightly confusing because you're not sure how this is happening and whether it's going to play out and then the afterwards is this uh surreal you know space where something that you've literally seen maybe once live from any team anywhere just happened in front of you and you have to decide how incredible it was like your, your brain has to decide it so yeah i did i was i was not losing my stuff it would it would have been different than a a grand slam over the monster from him, um, you know, to the opposite field. That would have been way funnier. Yeah. Uh, we appreciated it, nevertheless, though. Uh, Zahir at Zeroid says, suppose the current starting rotation of <laughs> Manoa, Barrios, Gaussman, Stripling, and Kikuchi, for some reason, all had to field positions for one game at the same time. Where would you put each of them? Uh, oh, and you can take other position players in account. Too good to bench. I, that last part of the thing is just too hard a condition to follow. Yeah. So, Barrio. Okay, so I got some, uh, Manoa at first. Yep, I'm, I'm with you. Kikuchi, I think he's a left fielder. Okay. You know, a little, little he's left-handed, so he's limited in where he can be. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, you go now. You pick one. Stripling, I think we could, well. Okay, Gaussman looks like a center fielder. Why do I think that? I don't know. I did, maybe it's the hair. And then right. Stripling at second base. Brios at short. That's your middle infield duo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't think you want to waste waste uh, Brios's arm necessarily, do you? I mean, he can throw ninety five. He probably has a decent arm from right. But, you know, maybe maybe we need his range at shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we, the only thing we can settle on is Manoa at first and that we're completely lost. Screw it. Brio's behind the dish. R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, well, thank you for that, Zero. Uh, we, we may never recover from picturing all of those things. You got to let us know when you listen to this where you would put them. 
Yeah, surely you had at least a couple of those already, already in your mind somewhere. Um, did I forget the duo? Oh, we're not even at do-overs. I'm so discombobulated. Um, we're going to do, because I'm so discombobulated, we're going to do another gold star. And they sound like this. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Uh, this is not an on-the-field thing. Uh, Off-the-field thing, but we like to acknowledge cool moments. Uh, as most of you know, both Jamie Campbell, um, who I believe has leukemia and is being treated for it, and uh, Buck Martinez um, also has cancer and has just finished his treatment and will be back on Tuesday. For all of you Swing and a Drive fans out there, um, Buck is coming back and has apparently had a successful treatment. Uh, at the All-Star Game, there is always the stand-up to cancer during the seventh inning stretch. Uh, where you know players and fans will write people who they are standing up for on a card. Um, the camera pans throughout the audience. Ken Rosenthal picked Jamie and Buck Martinez, as did Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, they didn't have to do that, and that was just really cool as far as I was concerned. Yeah, it was just a really nice gesture. You know, someone supporting his contemporaries, and then Vlad supporting people that he's probably gotten to know, but still, they don't think they're broadcasters. They're not teammates, part yeah. of the team. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, we're, we have your back. The other thing I, I found interesting was that opened a, like a window for uh, Jamie to take uh, one of the, the sports net segments. Um, and he extended thanks uh, for all the support that uh, people had given him all the messages he's gotten, all the people who've come to see him, um at the booth you know at, at Rogers center and everything else um you could really sense how heartfelt his thanks was um and how how touched he is by all of those gestures and the fact that he you know he took this they, they gave him the segment solo to do that uh, and gave him a minute to speak his piece and say a thank you um to everybody was also very cool so good on everybody for um taking the subject seriously and and taking a moment to pause and, and think about things that are you know probably a lot more important and uh, a lot more life affecting than the silly stuff we normally talk about on the baseball field here. So kudos. Now I'm going to pull out one of these. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Oh, Manfred. How we despise these. <laughs> This is a very fitting do-over clip because we have multiple ones that we can choose from that you picked because Rob Manfred was asked about minor leaguers not being paid a living wage. There were a million ways he could have taken the question to dodge it, essentially. He said, quote, I reject the premise that minor leaguers aren't being paid a living wage. The day after... <laughs> <laughs> the, the day after a lawsuit was settled where, for however many million dollars for not being paid enough 185 million or something for, for them not paying players when they should have yeah and he's, he referenced like you know with the, with the food they get and the housing okay look it's insane to say that minor league players have a living wage even while they're playing but they don't get any of that when the season's not on <laughs> And they're not allowed to take a lot of the second jobs. I mean, 
they can, some of them can take the, some little things, but they also still need to train. They still require to work out and, and go to the facilities and things like that. They're not paid for any of that. So of course they're not making a living wage. And good job to all the minor leaguers tweeting out, here's what I made last year. Here's what I made last year. I, I did not make a living wage. Like just calling about it is absolute nonsense. You said at the top, this thing of like Rob Manfred hating baseball. I'm a hundred percent true. He's just a, he's like a bond villain. Like <laughs> there's no attempt at even trying to seem like a normal, reasonable human being anymore. He's just a jerk. Yeah. And I, don't understand the even the principle that you would not support the development of the future talent that's going into your your game when it's clear that if you're if you're about to get drafted in the later rounds after your bonus runs out whatever it is you better have a trust fund that's going to get you through your time in the minor leagues like it's literally saying to people you can't afford to get drafted by this league. We want the best players in the world. What are you talking about? Like you're shooting yourself in the foot. It, it doesn't yeah. even make sense from a business standpoint. So even no. if he was he was a Bond villain and he wanted to be successful, you would want to pay minor leaguers. But I'm saying he's a Bond villain. They're all terrible at their job. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's 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 a, just a purely evil jerk who's also really bad at what he does. I want the the bad guy from the Simpsons episode. You only move twice uh, to uh... Scorpio. Yeah, I want Hank Scorpio to, <laughs> to to be the commissioner of baseball. Sure, sure. There's going to be a death ray in every stadium on the East Coast, but <laughs> but people will be treated decently. That's right. Oh man, that's probably going at the front of the podcast because that makes so little sense out of context. Um, so I invite you, dear sir now that we are done with all of our regular segments, to give me a final thought if one is floating around in your brain. Yeah, so when we had that segment where we were talking about with the question about Tapia and we were talking about the outfielders that they could get. and Look, I mean, I would be happy still if they got Ian Happ just because he could play center field and you could push Bradley Zimmer off the roster. But the Jays, since June have five guys, five regulars, with an OPS over 900. Another two, Chapman and Biggio, regular-ish for the second one, over 800. And Springer and Bichette, two guys who should hit better, are some of the ones under 800. They're still above 700. That is a very long lineup. What that's done is on the season now, there are – well, and Jansen and Kirk, they're both the catcher, but the two of them are both over 880, three more over 800, and then everybody other than Zimmer is over 700. This is a lot like what it was last year when we were raving about the offense, and they're going. I mean, they, look, they're still going to stumble sometimes. They're still going to run to a pitcher who just shuts them down, but the offense as a whole is finally starting to look scary top to bottom. May it ever be so. Yeah. I'm going to throw back to the ridiculous game that we started this whole podcast talking about because we did not include the following extremely cherry-picked but nevertheless fun bit of stats. So until that game, 
These four things had never all... This is courtesy of Toronto Blue Jays Twitter. These four things had never all occurred in the same MLB season, let alone by one team in the same game. Scoring 28 runs on the road, hitting an inside-the-park grand slam, hitting for the home run cycle, and a player with six hits in an inning game. <laughs> so if, if you watch that game, that is the unicorn of unicorns. That's just crazy. We couldn't have gotten everybody with three hits. Come on. Uh, well, that would have been that would have been too much, Josh. So I say <laughs> to you all um, uh, that. Uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 242, and we will talk at you surely next week, uh, but also most likely before next week as well with a special in-between podcast interview. Uh, we'll see you then.